In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. Eli, the elderly high priest, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, had turned a blind eye to the rampant blasphemies of his sons, Phineas and Hophni, presumptive successors to his position in the temple. God relayed a message through Samuel, Eli's helper, that this would not stand. I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. Not just one ear, both. From that day to this, we have lived through thousands of ear-tingling times, our eyes clouded over in disbelief. We are now in another such time. Off and on since last summer, it has felt like we're living through a disaster movie, but in slow motion. The COVID pandemic did not claim millions within a few weeks. It moved steadily, initially so abstract, happening elsewhere. Why shut down businesses and ruin our economy? It now claims over 3,000 lives per day in America, a daily 9-11. Climate change has likewise felt abstract for decades, until last summer's California wildfires proved the most destructive in modern history while hurricanes hit the same unlucky spots multiple times, eye-opening calling cards of our planet's dis-ease. Racism in America has long felt like background noise to those of us not black or a person of color. Despite its occasional scream into our national ears, it's a chronic back pain. We pop painkillers to numb. Then George Floyd was killed on camera last May, and protests erupted worldwide. Racism's twin, white supremacy, has been with us since Europe first landed and slaughtered the natives. Slavery was essential to America's growth, disenfranchising black voters key to maintaining white power. In December 2018, the U.S. Senate passed a federal anti-lynching bill for the first time after 240 failed attempts since 1901. Lynching, a no-brainer, you would think. Even FDR, despite Eleanor's support for them, refused to back anti-lynching legislation for fear of alienating white Democratic voters and senators he needed to pass other legislation. Then January 6th happened. Our national demons came out to play, and we could no longer pretend white supremacy was in our rearview mirror or the delusion of uppity people of color. This slow motion disaster movie we have been living in may now be reaching its climax. 
At the very least, our ears are tingling mightily. The clergy of this diocese meet with Bishop Lucinda twice a month on Zoom. Last Wednesday, we discussed how to shepherd our people through these extraordinary times. In small breakout rooms and then as a whole, we wrestled with this. It wasn't easy. We were at a loss. How can we be both prophet and healer every Sunday? What we landed on, in my opinion, was a vague suggestion that we allay our respective flock's anxiety and try to emphasize the presiding bishop's way of love movement. I can't really do that for you today. Because anxiety is a very appropriate response to what's going on around us. Love is ultimately what will save us. But if left unchanneled into something like justice, love becomes silly string sprayed against swinging flagpoles. You are not children, and I will not treat you as such. These times call for courage and fortitude, for prayer and clarity. They call for community that cares for its own and for others, and for a faith that looks the challenges of our age squarely in the face. Anxiety is perfectly reasonable, but it doesn't do much good. I need to hear this as much as I need to say it to you. What can I offer you this morning that's of any use? Last week, I urged you to ground yourself in the eternal, to remember that we are surrounded by God's grace, afloat in a solution that preserves and upholds us. I invited you to rest in the mystery, in the midst of the mayhem. Today, paradoxically, I encourage you to fix yourself in the physical, to leave abstraction behind and focus on the corporeal. Your body and the physical body of every living being is a precious vessel created by God to be revered and cared for. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? The psalmist marvels. You yourself created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes beheld my limbs. All of them were written in your book. Every square inch of your body, everything you can touch on yourself or another, is so precious to God that it is itemized in some divine book. And we are to treat our body like a temple. These are not just vivid metaphors. They point to the fact that matter matters. Sorry for the cliche. Your anxiety over the course of events in America 
Your lungs constricting, your forehead sweating, your back aching, your brain throbbing. These things are a natural response to the frightening stimuli that is the news of the day. But you must tend to yourself and not let the disquiet overwhelm you. Your body is a temple that contains your spirit. When your spirit is failing, tending to your body will help protect it. Breathe deeply. Sit down and pray. Get up and take a walk. Eat sensibly. Protect your body from the virus. Close the computer, pick up the phone, write a card, smile at others through your mask. God bless you, but swallow your whining. Ground yourself in the physical. These things matter, and they may actually help allay your fears in ways mere words cannot. But also, we must learn to see the body of every other person as equally sacred and precious. And I mean that really and truly and actually. The black men and women we hung from trees like strange fruit were precious temples to God. Unlike what we as a nation secretly tell ourselves, blacks are not expendable. Something to turn away from shaking our heads and thinking, what a shame. God is horrified every time a black man is suffocated or gunned down, a black woman shot to death in her own home. You and I do not know what it's like to live in black skin in this nation, to wake up to America's original sin, daily dancing in the streets in search of a new victim. Ta-Nehisi Coates, in his book, Between the World and Me, writes to his son, here is what I would like you to know. In America, it is traditional to destroy the black body. It is heritage. What was on display as the rioters stormed the Capitol was racism, among other things. Not everyone there was a white supremacist, but I believe all were propelled to come to DC from across the country by confusion, fear, or hatred against what they felt was a threat to their way of life. And that way of life is one that implicitly condones the subjection of black people. We must learn to see the body of every other person as equally sacred and precious, or we will not make it. Paul is right. Every single body that threw itself against the capital is also a precious temple in God's eyes. And here is where I am complicit. This morning I read a story about the woman, a rioter from Georgia, who was trampled to death by the crowd storming the building. And you know what I did? When I read that she had been carrying a flag with the motto, Don't Tread on Me, I laughed out loud. Now that's ironic, I thought. But God was horrified by
by my laughter. That was my precious child you mocked. Now, I don't equate my response to a lynching. Nor do I deny that blacks kill other blacks more than they kill whites. And it is a little known fact that 27% of those lynched in America from 1882 to 1968 were white, mostly for helping blacks. But what I do know is that we all too easily forget the sacredness of every body. We must learn to see the body of every other person as equally precious, or we will not make it. That is what I have to offer you this morning. That and my love. Take care of your body. Honor everybody as sacred. To paraphrase Nathaniel from our gospel reading, can anything good come from this? Yes, it can. In the coming days, we must learn to hold both outrage and compassion in tension. Outrage without compassion is like a swinging flagpole aimed at our heads. Compassion without outrage is silly string. Neither will serve us alone and will not help us move forward towards justice and healing. This is not easy. After all, we commemorate a man this weekend who was assassinated for trying to achieve that balance between outrage and compassion, who wanted us all to see that we are beloved children of God who dreamed of equality. The word of the Lord is rare in these days. Visions are not widespread. May we wake up to the dream that Martin Luther King had for our nation and become prophets and healers of this land. Amen.